stories to you. Hello, my name is Rosemary Milsom and I'm the director of the Newcastle Writers Festival. This session, I'm With Her, was recorded at the 2022 festival and features Evelyn Araluen, Jasmine Seymour, Nadi Simpson and Chelsea Watergo. Your host is Narelda Jacobs. I'm Narelda Jacobs, a Wajak Noongar woman. My pronouns are she, her, from Buraloo, Perth. And I've been living on Gadigal country in Sydney for a couple of years now. And uh, I feel like my life has led to this moment. <laughs> Being on stage with these powerful people who I'm going to introduce you to in, in a moment. I'm just going to let um, the last of uh, the people outside a chance to come in and get comfortable because we're about to close the doors. It's, uh, we've turned one o'clock and, um, and we've got the next hour in this very safe space. Well, can I welcome you all? Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it is going to be an hour of power. Um, we ask that you come with open hearts and open minds and just let the words and the feelings wash over you. Um, I, can't, uh, I can't stress that enough. It's just going to be this really beautiful time of sharing. Um, gives me great pleasure to introduce you to you, Evelyn Araluen, Nadi Simpson, Jasmine Seymour and Chelsea Watergo. Can we please give them all a big round of applause? Um, now, I've introduced myself. I'm going to get uh, Evelyn to introduce uh, yourself and down the line. Tingiwala, I'm Evelyn. Um, lots of pressure. I've got to decide what we're going to be introducing ourselves on the basis of, I think. I'm setting a tone. I hope I said it terribly. Um, uh, I am a Gurikuri woman um, through my father, um, Bundjalung by blood, uh, born and raised in Burraburongal country, um, community that I was raised to be accountable for in Darug, Western Sydney. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a poet, writer, researcher, I am overemployed, underpaid um, and in a constant state of existential crisis uh, and very honoured to be a guest here um, on Wabakal Country and very honoured to be um, uh, in country that has been cared for by those custodians since time immemorial and will continue to be cared for and upon which sovereignty has never been ceded. Thank you, Evelyn, for saying that um, what we call Waramai country, uh, unceded lands. We uh, pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Nadi. Aoyama, I'm Nadi Simpson. Iwalarai Wiringa, Sanguana Totem, Lignum people. And I live in Sydney, in Earlwood, Bidjigal country. Uh, and I say I'm a storyteller because I can't make up my mind what I do, you know. So I sometimes sing and sometimes write. And I'm trying to learn to listen better. Yes. How's that going, by the way? That's too hard. <laughs> Jasmine. Warami. Nayagiara Jasmine Seymour Buraburangul Daragura. Hello, my name is Jasmine Seymour. I'm a Darug woman belonging to the Burraburongal people. Um, I'm the descendant of Yarramundi and Maria Locke. Um, I'm a primary school teacher out in Western Sydney and I'm a children's book author. Um, it's lovely to be with you here today. Chelsea. Um, my name is Chelsea Wadigo. I'm Mananjali, South Sea Islander, born and raised on Yagara country in Mianjin. Um, Home for me is, um, has become home for me as an Anala in the outer suburbs of Brisbane. 
4077 represent. Um, I'm an academic as a day job, um, do some other things um, with the Institute for Collaborative Race Research in Alawangara, um, and I'm a mum of five, which is probably the best job ever. Based on those introductions, you can see how important it is for Blackfellas um, to, to pay respects to the country that we come from because our country is our identity. It's, it's everything. It's every, everything and every, uh, every, every one, you know, and we are one with, with everything. Uh, um, I can't kind of stress that, that enough and that's why we, we say that. The, first, for the, the very first things we say is where we come from, our country. Um, I wanted to start by asking each of you um, a pretty deep question, actually, and something that I think may have informed your, the work that you put out into the world. Um, and the question is, when, when was the first time you began a relationship with our ancestors? Chelsea, I'm going to start with you work back. I thought Evelyn got the short straw. <laughs> I'm fine. I'll do it. Who wants to go, okay, who wants to go first? Go on. I'll do it. Um, so I and it, I got this question about like five minutes ago. Yeah, well, so that's why I thought no, you no, could no, go no, last. It's good. I think on my feet. Um, uh, so listen, I was raised culturally. I was raised spiritually. Um, I was raised in very much um, a tradition of active participation with the landscape, not being raised on Bundjalung country but being raised in a community that is informed by many different nations. A lot of the knowledge and wisdom that I grew up with came from um, family and relations through Yorta Yorta, Yuan, Wiradjuri, um, Bigambal. And so I was always aware that spirituality doesn't stop when you leave your country, that the spirits are still there, the creators, the ancestors are still there. Um, and so being accountable to that in terms of thinking like from the microcosmic to like, well, don't litter and don't, you know, treat country badly and don't participate in resource extraction, that kind of stuff, which is heavy for like a five-year-old to be like, this is why mining is bad. Um, <laughs> but it's good, it's important. And so I think in the sense of like that active um, cultivation of, um, of an environmental understanding that is for blackfellas deeply spiritual and deeply cultural. It's very much a culturally informed thing. Um, to be good to the earth and to be in a relationship with ancestors, you know, in that sense. Um, so it, it was day dot for me. I'm very lucky to have been, you know, raised with um, a strong sense of spirituality from a young age. Not everybody gets that privilege. I'm, you know, very grateful for it. Um, so, yeah, shout out to my parents for um, really, <laughs> really doing the most, yeah. How do you express it? Um, listen, in some ways are, I think, deeply personal and intimate and I was also kind of a part of that, was raised with a real sense of like the secret sacred, never make culture or spirituality a performance and so there's, there's you know, daily intimate aspects of my being off country or on country or just in dialogue with, um, with family, with my back home um, and I, you know, that's something that is is just a constant for me, I hope, regardless of whatever else I do. Yeah. But in terms of writing and in terms of thinking about literature and thinking about responsibility, like that's informed by land, that's informed by ancestors, that um, we are accountable to others um, as much as possible. So, yeah, I, I bring that into my into my day job. That's awesome, Evelyn. What about you, Nadi? When, 
what's your relationship like with the ancestors and when, when did you kind of realise that they, they, were, they were with you? I reckon it went like this for me. When your texts come around that this was going to be the first question, they were up there laughing their heads off, <laughs> wanting to know how I was going to negotiate the answer because they know that I don't listen. <laughs> and they know that I like to do. And so sometimes I don't think. <laughs> I can see them uh, up there looking down on me doing and not being present. But the fact that they're laughing at me means they know me before actually I was in this form. Same for all of us. When we're a birth spirit, they grew us. They loved us. And so when did I know? I'm still in a process of knowing. And I hope that goes till, you know, they put me in the ground. Because uh, the idea of having an ongoing, unfolding uh, joke <laughs> with my old people about how important they are to me. How I want to live my life, you know. So um, whether I'm conscious about it or not, doesn't matter what my answer is. I know that they've always been... Actually, and forget me. The yarn doesn't start with me, you know. Back, 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 back. Nadi, I, I, I felt the ancestors through you, actually, when, when, we, when we met. Just, they laughed at me. Just a few moments ago. <laughs> they laughed and And I felt, I felt the presence when, um, when you... You probably don't even know that you did this, but you just you touched me on, on my arm like this... You touched me on my arm like this and you said, we're going to have a good time. Yeah. And, that, and I, just, I, I just felt, I just, felt just a sense of calm. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to give this over to the ancestors, this, this yarn that we're going to have. Because that's, that's, you know, all of our lives have brought us to this moment. Like, did, did you rem remember that you even did that this morning? Did, like, did you kind yeah. of... But I, I mean, that came from, like, how can this go wrong? <laughs> Let's try. <Wait> <laughs> Uh, uh, linking to your question, knowing that, you know, I've got a mob, mob up there laughing at me and they might be sitting next to your crew and your crew and your crew and, and you know, this actually has already happened mm. through those people, yeah. which is why it can't go wrong. But, oh, that's um, uh, you know, I think for me, because I like talking, see, look, going too long, um, I have to remember to get myself out of the picture. Mm. And so a way I can do that is always thinking about what happened before and what will happen after, how we had those beautiful yarns about language and how that does that, um, uh, you know. So really, it, talking about my mob up there should be actually about me um, saying uh, everybody else's mob is there and as important as, and as loud. We've got, to, we've got to partner with the reality and the beauty and the history of others mm. and not talk about ourselves. Wow. Okay. That's, that, let's, let's come back to that because uh, that's, I would love to be able to unpack exactly what you've said there. Um, Jasmine, what about you? When was your relationship with the ancestors? When, when did it begin in, on a, in a personal way?
Yeah, um, I think the very first time, my first memory is of my dad taking us out to Cat Eye, me and my brother, I was only about six, and he gave us a really big sense that um, we, this place um, we belonged to, or it was ours. He didn't own the land, it was just about to be sold, and he was devastated. And, um, you know, I grew up on the land that Yarramundi walked, just down the road from him. I never, my family's never not been there. We grew up from, you know, not far away from where 30-foot engravings of eels were destroyed to displace people, my people, my family. Um, Darug, being Darug is a complicated thing. You know, we're told who we can be and who we can't. But very rarely are we allowed to say who we are. And yet, when my father passed away from early onset dementia, I was just becoming a primary school teacher. And it became really urgent within me. I was being told that I had to, do, you know, to step up, to listen, to be part of this story. And, um, and I, you know, I feel that I've been guided ever since. And every step I take is in honour of those people, my people. And today my sisters are here who have showed up to support me. It's just so beautiful. As we were driving up, I said to my partner and my kids, I never want to leave Sydney ever again. I love it. You know, I just, it's completely home to me. The country, everything about it speaks to me. Yeah. That's beautiful, Jasmine. Chelsea. Um, yeah, I struggle to answer this question because as much as I share of myself, there are some things that are not for public consumption. Um, and, but we all know our people are with us in, and often in the, those darkest moments when they really show themselves for us. Um, but in those relationships, uh, it's made me think about um, who are we as ancestors in our time mm -hmm. to hold the front line? And, um, and so as I think about my relationship um, with, with my people, I think about, well, what kind of person am I for those that come after me? And, and did I do what I was supposed to do, what I was called to do, um, even though people might not like you? Um, and, and so, I, you know, ancestors uh, are from a time, but we're in our time too. And so to think about what it is what it is to be a good ancestor as opposed to a good Aborigine, because they're not the same thing. Yeah. I, I heard a, um, there's, there's a saying, an old, an old quote, it's better to be hated for who you are than loved for who you are not. Hello. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who are in the last session between Chelsea and I, you'll know what, what, uh, what that's referring to. There's probably a lot of people, a lot of haters out there, but um, so Get be it. Get in line. So <laughs> be it. Um, well, for me personally, um, my relationship with my ancestors came quite late in life. Um, a lot of us have had Christian upbringings. Um, my dad was a reverend of the Uniting Church. Um, my mum was also in the ministry and my dad passed away uh, about three and a half years ago. Um, and, you know, when, when such a big presence in your life goes and, and the person who is your connection, you know, to your ancestors, not having them there anymore, um, it, 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 I don't know, it just, it, something kind of just, it just, it was just like a, a, a switch that kind of was flicked and 
And I found myself, you know, we, we grow up knowing to pray, you know, to dear Lord Jesus, you know, please, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, we, you know, we said grace around the table. It's always to Jesus, to, to God, you know. Whereas now I give thanks and ask for guidance from the ancestors. And that is who, that is my first port of call, you know. And, um, uh and when things happen that you can't explain, I thank the ancestors. And there have been so many things. I'll just give you one quick example. Um, in, so uh, pe people, I've moved to, to, to um, a Gadigal country from being in Perth my entire life. I've lived there for two years. The decision to move after, an in, uh, after a lifetime in Perth where I was born and bred and, and raised, my whole family there, I've got very deep roots there. No one knew me here. You know, it was a pretty big decision to come. And uh, so I made this decision to come. I had a fantastic job reading the news in Perth for Channel 10. Um, and um, and I, 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 I said to my bosses, I want to I see what else life has, what other challenges there might be. I was in the same job for 20 years. Uh, and jobs were created for me to, to, to come to Sydney. Um, and six months later, the job that I had just left was axed from the network. And, I, and it was like, thank you, ancestors. You know, I didn't know that that was about to happen. And then, and not only that, then the world changed before our eyes and it changed in a positive way that was to become better for the entire world. And there I suddenly was in a position and a platform to lend my voice to a national conversation. And that was the challenge that I had actually been seeking. And my life had been with training wheels, I felt like. Until, like this last couple of years has been the biggest time of growth for me personally and it's because I suddenly opened my heart to the ancestors, you know, and I just think that's a really beautiful thing and so that's why I was wanting to, to hear from you. Um, Nadi, you said, you know, in, in your opening words, um, you gave us a bit of an insight into, into First Nations um, uh, philosophy and, and mindset because you... You painted a picture of there being no ego, you know, that you're not, there's no self here. But writing and creating is such an individual thing if you're working on your own. So then how do you, how do you sit within yourself and, and, and but take the self out? Yeah. Yeah, how? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wish I knew. Um, I think... I think having a product at the end of it skews everything. Because that's actually all, what you've got to show for how you've tried to tell a story or the space you've tried to make. And it's not the right representation sometimes of what you've been through. I mean, I don't know, look, there's a drive to tell a story and to... Uh, connect with people and to say things you think need to be said. And then, you know, you can hold it in your hand, your name's all over it, but it's not that, you know? And I, I, I think, um, I don't know, these things don't work. I need to tell stories. Uh, I like to have an end product but I don't need it. I th and, uh, you know, I, I don't mean it to sound trite, but I do mean that. With the book that I wrote, I thought, 
they can print two of these and I want one on the um, shelf in Wagga Community College and one on the shelf at Lightning Ridge High School and that'll do me. Because, and, they, and you know, those kids don't even need to open it because it needs to be there and maybe someone will look at it and said, well, someone's told a story about us, maybe I can. Mm. That's why I did that. Mm. All this, mm. beautiful palaver, <laughs> uh, what is it? I don't know, a little side alley. Actually, but you know, it's about this. Going back to your first question, you know, ancestors conspiring to make things. So uh, it's a constant struggle for me. Look at me, I'm giving all my secrets away. I don't listen and I try and get my <laughs> ego out of the way. Yeah. But I love standing on these fellas here. I yeah. love being on stage, not for this, mm. but for that. Well, to experience that. Mm. You never want to leave Sydney, but Sydney came to you. And I get to feel that. That's why I love these things, because mm. that magic happens. Chelsea, what about for you, Another Day in the Colony, what, what was your motivation to write it? Because you, you do say in the beginning of the book, you, it's almost like a, like a disclaimer or a warning <laughs> to certain people who are reading it. Look, white people, you can read the book. <laughs> um, I just didn't write it exactly for you. Good ways. <laughs> but if I can just talk to the self, like, um, as blackfellas, as, you know, we're relational people. Um, we have to be in the work that we do. We cannot be divorced from it, dispossessed from our own knowing. And so, um, you know, I tell a lot of my own story because that's, that's the um, ethics, the protocol of our knowledge production systems. How do you know if you don't have a relationship with it? How can you speak on that if you don't declare mm -hmm. your relationship to it? And not to centre your voice, not to monopolise the space by lived experience, um, but to show your workings and to show the limitations of your knowing. So I, can, I speak about colonial violence in a way that I, how I came to know it. But I don't proclaim to speak for all of it and, and other people have different experiences. I'm not claiming to possess. Mm. See, our knowledge systems weren't about possession or discovery mm. to take stuff that doesn't belong to us. It was to work at how to be in relationship with each other. So we have to be in there and, and we know how to be in our, in our work without the ego being at the forefront, because that's their knowledge systems. Go work in the academy and you see about ego. You know, like, it's a, a different way of thinking, a different way of being. Um, but yeah, no, I, book, I wrote the book for blackfellas. I wanted to, like, um, I wanted to, I wanted to see a black text on a bookshelf that spoke to us about us. Um, because we were either in the, you know, the, the fables and the kids' stories, or were in the um, you know non-fiction by white knowers, um, and all either you know um, all seek to position us in a way that we can never know ourselves. And there's a violence in the texts that have been produced about us. We've all read them, we've all seen them, like you know, and that's what compels us to go. No, we we can be the authors of our own story. Yeah. You know, and we should be. And and this is part of holding the front line is we're taking back our stories because yeah. they're ours. And not an egotistical way, but in, in a standing still, stand, being sovereign kind of way. When Romaine Morton talks about sovereign storyteller, that's yeah. our responsibility. Yeah. Um, and I think it's such a privilege and an honour to be able to, to take back our stories. And the, the, the joy comes in when you tell black stories to black people. You know, it's a different feeling and it's a beautiful feeling. Evelyn, you're taking some Australian classics and turning them on their head. 
Uh, yeah, because I'm bitter and I'm jaded. <laughs> and I ruin everything, and no one's. If I can't like something, none of you can. <laughs> um, no, and it's interesting. And actually, just hearing Chelsea reflect on that, it's it's you know because I spent a lot of time thinking about the work of Drop Bear, and then thinking about the potential damage of recentering these stories, even inadvertently, by kind of shining a light on patterns of erasure and violence and. And, you know, like you could think of them as being fairly small stakes, like the, you know, me coming out and being like, well, actually, did you know that Meg Gibbs was a bit racist? Like that's not necessarily like changing the discourse a huge amount. Um, and I'm not making that kind of claim. But it was a really, um, it was very much a decision to think about what I could do in terms of my skills and expertise in terms of clearing debris that has kind of gathered up and has interfered with the ways in which we actually do think about our own storied histories in country and in place. And so Australian classics, you know, the canon of Australian literature is violent, it is incredibly heteronormative, it is incredibly patriarchal, incredibly... Um, very much structured around extractive industries, agriculture or the pastoral tradition and all of these things do violence to country and they are literally predicated on the death of Aboriginal people and reading that and learning about that literary history and coming into an understanding of why we're not getting black graduates in, in English programs. I'm the, I think as far as I'm aware I'm the only Aboriginal person to have graduated from the English department at the University of Sydney um, and that is entirely due to the fact that they moved the when they collapsed the Koori Centre at UCID, um, they moved that into the English department for whatever reason. I have no idea. And I got to work with a black scholar, Peter Minter, and you know he was you know we've been working collaboratively on a lot of ideas, but one that has taught me a lot is his theory of the genealogical eye. For, for blackfellas, that subjectivity, it is about bringing into light ancestors. It's about bringing into light place. It's about bringing into light descendants as well. And the I never speaks just for the individ individual Aboriginal person in these texts. It does not. It cannot. That is not the reality that we live under. It is holding that, you know, it is holding that historiosity. And so to be able to write against a tradition that even though it does inadvertently recenter it, my goal for that is to have done some of the work that will make other things possible, just in the sense that another day in the colony is going to make an insane amount of work possible that was never, never, never doable um, because it's set a precedent, it's created an environment where now actually black thinkers, black scholars can quote something and point to something and go, look, this person did it by you know absolute tooth and nail I am sure it was not easy but it's done something that's made something else possible and I think that I like I think that that is at the center of everything else that we want to do particularly in this time with the resources we have access to you know it's just as you say it's about becoming good ancestors and making oh no yeah, I know. I know. Um Jasmine you, you Children who read your books are learning about cultural intelligence, and they're learning about ceremony. and um, And actually, I, I, Nadi, I did, I did tell her what you said about her work, and that it's. Um, oh, actually, you, you, you can tell Jasmine what you thought of her work when you said um, that it's not that that they're not just coming to read a read a book. It's it's about um, a cultural experience. It's learning culture, 
Yeah, well, how lucky are we? Well, um, you know, baby business... Microphone. Oh. <laughs> uh, when I... Um, I actually write to pictures. So I did all the pictures for baby business first and then the story came to me. And when you're talking about um, why you write or how you write, I felt as soon as I finished it, that it didn't belong to me anymore. Mm. It wasn't my story, right? It, and it, I still feel like that. It doesn't belong to me. Neither does Kui Mediga. Because those stories were written for the kids in my school where I teach. And they don't get to see anything about them in the literature they are reading. We get a lot of dreaming stories. And that always says that we're dead or it's happened a long time ago. But we never get to see anything about us now in the present, thriving. And that really disturbs me. And um, when I won the award for Best New Illustrator for Baby Business, I had two of my Indigenous girls sitting right there and they just stared at me, like, borrowed into my skull <laughs> the whole time, you know? And that's why I do it. And then another kid, um, Torres Strait Islander kid, yelled out just randomly, thanks for writing that book. And you just... That's why. Yeah. Because they can see themselves in yeah, these characters? that's right. Oh. And it's about um, our experiences are never written about, you know? Like, what's to celebrate? You can't be what you can't see. And so baby business, you know, it's a contemporary telling of a baby smoking ceremony. For so many Indigenous kids who live in Sydney, they don't even know where they are, who they are, where they're from. They have no idea. You ask them, they don't know. And um, that book was about saying, you know, this is where you come from, this is part of your story, and this is, you know, the language in it is, this is uh, language of place and connectivity and ancestors. It's all extremely important, you know. So even if you don't know where you belong, when you're on country, you're still connected to country. And for those kids to feel that from my books, that's it. And that, that sense of dis displacement or, you know, that, that lack of, um, you know, belonging or lack of identity or cultural identity is so important. I mean, no wonder there's so many mental health issues in, within, within Blackfellas because, um, because we're constantly being told that we need to live in the colony and to be able to succeed, we need to succeed in the colony. But the greatest success, I think, is cultural intelligence, is having that cultural intelligence because that will surely see you look after yourself, look after each other and look after country. And that's, that's what our jobs are as, as First Nations people. Our job is to... We, we have the responsibility of looking after country. You know, that, that's, they're the jobs that we were given from, from, the, from the plants and animals and, and everything that was created. Everything, the, all of those things we are connected to and they gave us the custodianship over them, you know. And so, Jasmine, to, to have the little kids looking at you to say thank you for writing this story, because that is actually, that's my job. Well, they get it, right? They get it very, they got it loud and clear and that really surprised me. So, um... And, you know, they were part of the process of actually writing those books. They got to see the draft, they got to see it being made, and to, to have it like that, it's just extraordinary. Mm. I can't, uh, it, you know, nothing beats it. So, 
yeah, I'm very proud of them and those books are really for them. Yeah. Evelyn, your, your work really um, intellectualises in a way and then, uh, uh, then spits out a very honest version of it. Are, are, are people brim, brimming with pride when, when you come and talk to them or when you do a reading for them or break down the work um, and, and unpack the, the May Gibbs? I don't know if it's pride, honestly, like a lot of the, I've, I've had mixed reactions from some of the work, and which I think is, is very fair. Um, I write in varied styles. Um, I did a lot of research, not simply on Australian literature and the legacies, the bearing that it does hold on black readers, because we never were imagined very distinctively and the tropes are, the tropes about 200 years old of us being dead in the landscape. And there's no concept, there's no conceptualisation in Australian literature that Aboriginal people read that we actually consume literature, that we want books, that we want books that have a sense of what, where we are in the landscape. And um, uh, like I'm a theory nerd, I'm a nerd in other ways, but I'm also a bit of a, a literary theory and philosophy nerd. And one practice that I've tried to, um, I've tried to involve is a thing called contrapuntal storytelling. And contrapuntal storytelling is about uncovering what was suppressed from the colonial archive. And it's been such an incredibly interesting conversation to talk with mob, particularly a lot of older mob, for, who were also raised on Snugglepot and Cuddlepie, who were also raised on these books. And that's for a few reasons. Like it was going, it was being sent out cheaply, affordably to missions, and they were used as teaching texts. That seems to be relatively consistent in a lot of areas in the East Coast. Um, but it was also that it, these were the books that had some visualisation of Australia and a lot of parents like mine wanted to, when there was a lack of books, incredible books, like what, um, you know, like, like Kui Mitiga, um, like Baby Business, when we, you know, when we didn't have those kinds of books out there and you've got families who know how important literacy is because it was taken away from them violently and continues to be, might I add, um, you know, these were books that you get. You take what you can get and you, you try and teach it. You try and teach it contrapuntally. You try and t show what else is missing from it. And a lot of mob have come to me and they've said... They haven't said, oh, you taught me something new about Mae Gibbs in the way that white people have. Mm -hmm. They've actually just been like, you know... Yes, this is you've articulated something that I've thought about this sort of stuff or that I haven't thought about in years. Like, you know, like I said, I picked relatively small stakes here. I'm starting tiny, getting my feet wet and now I I don't know what I'll take on something something terrible. Richard Flanagan, I'm coming for you next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Richard. It's <laughs> I don't know. Um yeah, so I don't know, mob, I get mixed reactions and stuff to it, but mostly, you know what, mostly it's just people are excited about poetry and people are yeah. excited that poetry is getting yeah. published, they're excited that there is a really strong space for black poets to have their work printed and published, mm -hmm. which has not been the case for the last 30 years, I can certainly yeah. say that much. They think we had or drew and that's it. I learned to read on Dick and Dora. Did anybody else, is that just a WA thing, Dick and Dora? Oh. Okay, I, I, I'd be interested. I believe to... you. It sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. All right. Um, okay. I'll um, I'll think about that later. Um, I can ruin it for you. Yeah, if you yeah. Like. yeah that's okay, what cool. I wanted you to do. Right, I, I just the list. I Another just... thing to destroy: Blinky <laughs> Bill, Dick and Dora. They're all gone. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What about Eden Blyton? Ah, uh, yeah. That was that was too easy. There's some fascist overtones there. That would that would look like I'm just picking low hanging fruit. To be honest. <laughs> Oh, I love this. Um, 
Nadi, I, I've, I, I listened to uh, your In Conversation with Richard Feidler um, during the week, was, which was absolutely beautiful. Talk about just being soothed by, by hearing your voice and the stories that you grew up with. Um, how, how important is it in Australia for, for cultural intelligence to be recognised? Uh, for, for, for everyone, you know, for, for little kids as they're growing up. You know, I just kind of think of, um, you know, the, the movie In My, Blo In My Blood It Runs um, and um, Chelsea and I were talking earlier about um, Kuman J. Walker and how um, he was just demonised in, in, in life and then, you know, beyond the grave and his cultural intelligence was never recognised as, as a strength. And, you know, in this country, the, the answers um, for the... Um, for the future is to is for strength-based solutions to look at First Nations people with the strengths that they have, you know, which are there are many, you know, we all write about them. You all write about them. How important is it to start the conversations and the search for solutions, which we already have, based on cultural intelligence, recognising cultural intelligence, the things that 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 you know, the, the ancestors and, and our, um, the, everyone that have gone before, the people that we stand on their shoulders were told, were denied, were told that they were not allowed to practice those things. Well, that's a question and a half. How important is it for it to be recognised is a different question to how important is it for us to continue to foster it? The jump between those two yarns, I could babble about for five minutes. I'm really interested in, you know, we're seeing it. Actually, you're looking at it. Women investing in families and futures and pasts. That's the yarn that I think, well, that I want to invest in. Mm. And I'm sorry, I can't think of a great way to say how others should engage with that. But others outside should engage with that. Um, cultural intelligence. I, I guess, I guess, you know, um, we, there's talk of having another um, Royal Commission into, into something or other and then, um, you know, but we've got all the We've, we've, there's been all the inquiries and all the royal commissions and all the coronial inquests, and we're going to have another inquest into the passing of Kuman J. Walker that is going to have the same recommendations that we've had all along. You know, we, we've had the solutions there um, for the last couple of hundred years, uh, but we have been denied the chance to put them into practice. Chelsea and I were talking earlier that, you know, Yundamu, um, they want to be able to police their own community. They don't want people coming in their guns blazing. They've got the solutions for their own community. We, we, we want to see, you know, early childhood learning um, be extended to everyone and, and for those opportunities and for families to be strengthened. You know, and what we all sort of write about and are working towards is by giving the power back to First Nations people for our Ourselves, you know, and and I think that comes out in all of your work is to have that sense of pride. And I guess what 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 it, what I'm kind of asking is, what will it take for the country to recognise the pride in that mindset? And by starting all of the things, all of the conversations, everything, planning, um, policy making, um, election campaigning, everything should start there. Um, 
Because that's where this country did start. I wonder, that's a question for you fellas. We can talk about it and have great, great ideas and make work and champion. Uh, but we can't seem to get anything happening. You fellas can. You know, and that's saying, that's coming from someone who says, I need to listen better. So there's something in that winning a lay lay, a mutual listening between two. Uh, because, you know, these women are active. Our communities are active uh, and able to sustain and respond and thrive um, and support our cultural intelligence. That works on the other side of the fence and we're screaming at that fence. Uh, where's the ear over the other side? Chelsea? I mean, they never will get it. Right, if your existence is based on someone else not existing, I mean that's that's our relationship. So, and you know, I I, I thought, well, if I become an academic and I can get the evidence base and just show them on their terms, you know, about how to improve our health, that that would fix it. Of course not. Like it's not about us not having the right manual, being able to articulate in the most sophisticated way. Colonising people, their whole existence is based on us not existing. And the whole idea of fuck hope, be sovereign, is that we actually don't need their validation. We never have. Um, and so we can still be who we are, irrespective of who they are. That's knowing our power and our strength. And so much of our labour as blackfellas has been wasted on that appeal. Wasted. And so many blackfellas have been betrayed by the hope that one day they will get it that they will see us as worthy of the category of human. We don't need to do that, because we know who we are. When you know who you are and where you come from, you don't, your existence is not based, on upon, based upon their validation. Mm. And there's power in that, yeah. power in our own being. Um, and we lose it when we hand it over to them to grant it back to us. When we say sovereignty was never ceded, we mean it. We, <laughs> and, and it's not just... With our full chest. It, 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 it's not just sovereignty of the country of Australia. It's sovereignty of country, of, of the nations that exist within the nation. You know, so for, 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 for Yundamu to be denied community policing and um, for health services to be run by a state government or a federal government, I mean... Um, Chelsea, we, we talked about this, this earlier. Um, it, it, we, we are treated as subhuman because we're not in control. Um, I, I guess what we're, what we're saying is get, just get out of the way and let us do it for ourselves because we're, we're, the gaps are widening. And for each other, like, you know, um, in that most... You know, what was the most powerless moment of that verdict when it came out? Mm. You saw the power Walpuri, though. When they call for ceasefire, mm. you saw the power in that most powerless moment. And, and that's what we have to do for each other as storytellers to each other of reminding ourselves of the power we hold even in those darkest moments. Um, and that's what sustains us, always the sustainers of the people is what we do for each other. And, um, you know, it's, you know, we all felt that verdict. We all felt the violence of that verdict, the injustice of it and, and the, the helplessness, the hopelessness. But when their mob spoke, Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it, 
no matter what they do, they can't take away the power that we have. Mm -hmm. yep. And we, we have to remember that and remind ourselves of each, each other of that sometimes when we can't hear our ancestors speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got to listen to each other and, and hear that and remember that because that's what holds us. Yep. And that's what holds the front line. Yep. Whether it's the tea room at work, whether it's the courtroom, wherever that place is that blackfellas black are battling on any given day. Evelyn, when uh, people read your work and when they hear you hear you speak, um, you, and and perhaps you know when you go out to you know, friendship groups or um, groups that you speak speak at, and and you kind of hear your own work said back to you, paraphrased or in a different way, or you know in somebody else's um, voice and in the words that they use, what what makes you what you know what do you think when you hear that back? People are quite scared to read my poetry and will will email me to ask if it's okay. Um, and that's honestly like that. It's a power trip for me. Um, I yeah, and I think um, I think that sense of um, that sense of an audience is something that we are constantly negotiating as blackfellas because um, everything that we do is in um, is is kind of working against traditions of our own erasure. Um, you know, like the history of black publishing uh, is a labour history and it is a labour history of unpaid and unvalued work and work that was pushed out of the industry. And um, we're seeing, you know, like we're seeing a really beautiful, wonderful period in black publishing, but that was one that was, um, that was fought for predominantly actually by black women. Um, and I, would, I would place that emphasis there. Um, uh, Annie Carey, Reed Gilbert, um, Sandra Phillips, Anita Heiss, Janine Lane, like these are all people who've been working very actively in that space for a long time. And so when my work is kind of read in that context, in, in the context of like this, this renaissance, I do kind of have to remind people that like this is not a singular achievement. I was I was very lucky. I came into writing and literature with the help of prizes that were specifically targeted to encourage blackfellas to write, with opportunities that were fought for and placed in those spaces. Um, and so I get like when I was a bit you know younger and a bit more emerging in the space. I had people kind of reading my poetry and I think almost like overhyping it. Like it was mediocre at the start, I'll, I'll say that. Um, and I had people like overhype it and overemphasise it because they're like, oh, we're just so excited to see a black fella in poetry. And I'm like, they've been there. They have been there. They are there. They are in the communities. They are there now. And... Um, you know, talking about resourcing, and I know this is a different conversation, talking about how do we resource and how do we, like, create this... Um, how do we create this, you know, wonderful paradise in which all of our all of our um, work is recognised and acknowledged and the rest of Australia comes to the party and actually kind of, kind of like, looks us in the eye and goes, like, oh, no, you have been here. Um, you know, it is, it is a conversation. It's an, inter, it's an entangled conversation for all industries, for every space that has blackfellas. You know, for every every area that we work in, we have to make it black, we have to make it sovereign, we have to continue to create that environment where we are making th that continuity possible, honouring who came before us but then preparing for who's coming next constantly because that's, I think, the that's a big part of the reason that we are here doing that now. And so, yeah, this whole kind of, like, culture of, like, you know, uh, like prodigy poetry thing, like, oh, look at you, Evelyn, you're a great poet, because, like, I, you know, was entering into it with, like, a decent amount of talent and a decent amount of skill and got 
massively overdetermined and overhyped, and that's bad for young blackfellas. If we think if if we think that we are absolutely just you know too good for our own boots, it's really destructive, and we go into all kinds of tokenistic areas. It's it's very problematic patterns. So um, when people respond to my work, I'm only now, I think, getting to the place where people are doing that in earnest and are not actually doing that just for the sake of, oh, look, look, we've got, you know, we've got a black fellow that we can put on the panel, we've got a black fellow we can put in the anthology, and look, this one's palatable, this one's university educated, and this one writes in a cheeky way and not in a directly confronta confrontational way. And that's just because they weren't reading my confrontational poems. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm spiteful. I'm like, I'm grateful for the readers and the audience and the engagements and, and such that I've been able to have from that. But it also is really about also just holding that line and saying, like, actually, no, like, I need you to understand that I'm not fucking around. Um, and that's an, that's a constant act, and I am scared for young people coming in now. Um, I think it's um, I think we really need a lot of support and really intelligent structures there to let people grow before they are just handed over massive platforms that they don't know what to do with. Yeah, Chelsea, you're, um, you would have seen that a lot. Yes, that's why I'm a champion of black critique yeah. um, and, and championing black critique as a gift because white fellas will celebrate all kinds of mediocre, black, mediocre blacks, like, you know, it's, oh, you're articulate. Uh, and, and we know, those of us been raised in black homes, know that blackness is, a, is excellence. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not a diversity project, like, we had to be ten times better than them to break even, even if we got in, right? So, Government House, we had high standards. Um, and I, I'm, I'm critical of black works. I'm critical of black fellas too. Like, and not because I'm going for someone, I, I don't agree with it and I'm going to have a conversation. And if I'm going to spend my time critiquing your work, it means I've, I've, spent, I've spent time with you. I've, it's a gift. Uh, uh, it's not a personal attack. Uh, we, we, we should be able to have these conversations about, you know, thinking about this place. And, I mean, my book is a product of black critique. I had the good fortune of having Auntie Dr. Lilla Watson and Uncle Shane Coggle read every page of the book. And I got growled on stuff. When, when Auntie Lilla said, Chelsea, we're not survivors, we're more than that. That was a gift. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I've been a beneficiary of black critique. Um, and none of my work goes out without yeah. critical black eyes looking at it and going, hang on there. Um, if my ex-husband doesn't go, mm-hmm, when I read a line, I haven't hit it. You know, like... I'm, I'm answerable to a black audience and I want to know that I've done it right and done it proper so that when we, because it, it is confrontational and I want to know that I've, I've put, brought my best game. Yeah. And so when black fellas critique me, that is a gift because we're busy people. And yeah. so if someone takes the time to read your work, engage with it and tell you what's wrong with it so that you can make it better, yeah. that is a gift. Yeah. If I don't want to help you, I'm not going to give you my critique. I'm not going to hand it to you. That's and so I think important. we need to, at this time where everyone wants to be an influencer and stuff and everyone's got to have fans rather than friends that tell you the truth, mm. when, when we tell you the truth, it's because we love you. And, 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 and we need to remember that. Black critique is a gift. It's not lateral violence. Stop pathologising us. It's a gift. Mm. 
And some people just need to say thank you for that gift. Yeah, absolutely. And not block me, but never mind. Um, we're, coming to the, we're coming to the final stages of the time we've got together, can you believe it? I do want to give you the chance to ask some questions, so if you do have uh, a comment or a question that you would like to ask uh, while we've got this panel here, then please raise your arm or just yell out um, and I'll um, give you uh, your, your moment to, to ask a question. Um, but Chelsea, just, just on that, um, I, I think we're all wary of um, what, what we know as a deficit discourse you know, when people start there, when people start with the gaps, like, and, and, um, and we, we've all said this, you know, that, that we've heard the people, you need to do this and you need to do that, you were saying, Evelyn, and, and then they realise, oh, it's actually being done. And that, that we come across that all the freaking time when people are like, um, Aboriginal people need to do more, we need, they need to do this and they need to do that. And it's like, you know, the first time someone discovers something, um, they think it started that day you know, you know what I mean? And it's like, actually, this is already being done. And this is, Nadi, this is exactly what you were saying, you know, um, that this is, this is being done. We've been doing this, but where, we, where have you been? You know, and, that, and that's, the, that's the, the time that we're living through now. It's like, where have you all been? Where's everyone been? Like, while we've been doing this hard work, but what have you been doing? You know, you, you can never say, you need to do this and you need to do that because what have you been doing? You can easily put put it back on the other person for saying that, for talking about things they know nothing about. Um, how good is it to be on this stage, Nadi and Jasmine, like to, to to just be amongst this this group? Like I think um, you know, as a as the moderator of the group, like I've got my um, uh, nerves and insecurity about being amongst these powerful people. But uh, what what's been the feeling like, and how do you feel? Um, you know. Was it proven? Was it disproved? <laughs> the, the nerves that we might have had beforehand, or the about being in this in the presence of these amazing people. Oh, it's such a privilege. Like I um, felt like I was punching up when I was told oh, that I was on this silly. panel, and um, so silly. I was quite nervous. So it has been a real privilege to speak with you all today, and to listen to your stories, and you know, to be part of it all is just incredible. You know, I, I'm a primary school teacher, that's my main business, and um, the writing has come because of a need, <laughs> because there wasn't anything there, right? So if you don't see it, you make it. And you're right, we do it all the time. We, we, we punch up constantly. It's, it's actually time for other people to punch up. And Jasmine, do you, I, I put this to, to, to Evelyn, but do you now see the little kids paraphrasing what they're reading in your work? Um. Is in their consciousness? I got a lot of kids making books, which was really cool. Yeah, that was really cool. So, but um, one of the biggest things for me at my school was that um, we'd started a direct language program. And even though language is really hard, so you, it's not easy and it doesn't come easily for Aboriginal people to learn this language. Because it's often our second language, right? And it's really difficult to learn another language. But they're so proud. And you can see they all stand taller and, and it's given them um, status in the school because it's such a special thing. And that's what we need to see in education, you know, really championing Aboriginal experiences and not going, we're going to teach a different language because, you know, we don't think that that one's worthwhile doing. Mm. Nadi, you, you sing in language and you perform in language. Um, there are words in language that you aren't, cannot be described in English. Mm. 
Yeah. And so it's a word, but it's a universe because it belongs to us and us only. You know, I'm thinking now, maybe they're, they're up there now thinking or talking, laughing. Now she's understanding. And, you know, listening, listening, trying real hard and learning and being. Uh, things are ours and that's good. Doesn't mean you're missing out. Let them be ours and that'll make you feel good too. That's what I think about this. You can write a book. It means nothing unless it's, you know, sitting alongside all these ladies. Mm. And this one who's growing up our kids. Mm. And this one who's showing our young ones how to think. And this one who's on the front line. Making that pathway for us to come behind. That's living. That's blackness. Oh, what a... That's a wonderful way to end, actually. Um, thank you so much for, for being a part of this. We, you know, we, we felt your energy uh, as much as we were giving it. So, you know, you were all as much a part of this conversation as we were. So we thank you so much. Um, there are books to be bought down, down the basement of this building. It's quite an extensive bookshop. You must. Actually. You cannot go home without one of our books. Don't worry about me. Mm. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Talk, talk, talk. You can take it home and still keep listening. Please. Please. Her song, The Crocodile, is really good. Someone told me that. You should hear it. <laughs> the ancestors know which book you're going to get and they're out there waiting for you <laughs> and they will tick you off the list as you walk out. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe that was an hour already. It went so fast. Um, thanks again, and please uh, thank our panel today, Evelyn, Nardi, Jasmine and Chelsea, and uh, they'll be around for a little while if you would like to chat to them, and please go and purchase their books and all the other wonderful books there are in the bookshop. Thank you so much once again. I hope you enjoyed listening to this session, which was recorded at the 2022 Festival. Save the date for our 10th event coming up from March 31 to April 2, 2023. Stories to you.